And we are in the series on Sermon on the Mount. Um, over the last couple of months, we've been looking at ch- Matthew's chapters 5 through 7. And today we're looking at chapter 6 from verse 25 through 34. So you might want to um, start looking that up just now. We'll read it together in a second. Um, but just as a bit of context, I'm gonna, I've got a bit of a confession for you. Um, I'm a bit of a secret worrier. It's, it's like a, a terrible version of the secret millionaire, you know, where the kind of person goes in and nobody knows who they are. It's like, Zach doesn't, Zach surely can't worry with his monotone voice and calm demeanor. But I do worry a little bit, yeah. And I think it's partly how I'm wired, um, that um, I like to see how things fit together. I like to see kind of different scenarios and how they all work out. So quite like escape rooms and like mechanical puzzles. If you've been around to our house at all, you'll have seen all these mechanical puzzles that we have. It's very geeky, but I love it. Um, but it's also because of that, I means I can quite quickly join together dots and see potential for different scenarios. And it means I begin to worry about things that might never happen, but I can see the potential of them happening, and so I worry about it. So an example of that would be a few years ago, um, I was driving back from North Berwick, um, the usual kind of country drive, and uh, came out of a town and accelerated back into this national speed limit. And just as I was doing it, I realized there was a police officer with one of their kind of speed guns. And I was like, ah, I've accelerated too quickly. I actually think it was one of those carbo cutouts, you know? But it was like when I first introduced those, so I got properly tricked by it. And um, I, was, I wasn't sure whether I was going to get something through the mail, but I waited a couple of weeks and nothing came through, and I said, like, I think I'm in the clear. And then I realized one night that I hadn't updated my DVLA address. And so that, the whole evening I started to stress more and more that maybe there's a letter sitting in my old address, and actually maybe there's more than one letter, and there's growing threat levels, and there's going to be jail time or something. And I was in the middle of the night not sleeping, thinking about what it would be like to be in jail. Um, it, it generally it didn't keep me off all night. And then I started to realize how ridiculous that was, and, uh, and I stopped thinking about it and managed to sleep, thankfully. But I don't know if that experience is familiar to anyone. Is anyone else like that? Is it just me? I feel like it, it is a familiar experience. I'm just going to say that to reassure myself. Um, I think that quite often, actually, I think it's part of the reason why we as a country and we as a culture have unprecedented rates of anxiety and worry than ever before. I think there's almost a constant just buzz of worry under the surface, which most of us carry. Most of us aren't even aware of some of the time, or maybe we are particularly aware of it right now. And the the crazy thing about the fact that we worry is um, that we actually also, for most of us sitting here, live in probably some of the most affluent time in history, that we have more than anyone has had before. And we live in this bubble of comfort around us. And you'd think that that would bring contentment, right? You'd think there'd be something of that which means that we live also in worry-free life more than anyone has ever done before. But I think often what happens is the opposite. Instead, because we live in this bubble of comfort, we, we desire to avoid all pain or any potential of pain. And we worry about what happens if something was to change within that. We start to ask the question, what if my circumstances change? What if I don't get the grades I was looking for at school or university and don't get the job that I want. What if I lose my job? What if my circumstances change? What if um, I say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing and my, my reputation with people changes? We start asking that question over and over. What if, what if, what if? And I think actually it imp- has much bigger impact than it should on the decisions we make, um, on the plans that we make. Um, and actually I think it's hindering us from living life to the full. And today we're looking at a very well-known passage in Scripture. It's Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. And it's around worry. Jesus teaching about us and inviting us not to worry. Um, 
and instead offering us this incredible invitation to live differently, to see our circumstances differently, and to lean more on our Heavenly Father. And sometimes I think uh, God lines up passages like this because he mostly just wants me to think about it for a while. <laughs> so as I've been thinking about it, hopefully we can process it together. What does it look like for us to continue to live worry-free lives? So let's read Matthew chapter 6 from verse 25 to 34. It should be on the screen as well, yeah. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall I eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. And this is such an amazing passage, isn't it? Like, even as we read it together there, there's such a comfort and reassurance to it, isn't there? And actually, even in the midst of this, this last two months of us looking at Sermon on the Mount, it's a bit of a breather, because most weeks have been quite challenging. Like, there's been a real encouragement to live life to the full each Sunday, but also there's been quite a lot of challenge to, to, to look at and address the way that we live. And this feels like a bit of a breather. But at the same time, when you look a bit deeper, there is also a challenge in there. There's an invitation to live differently to the way that we currently are. Because the reality is, if, if someone says to you in the midst of your worries, just stop worrying about that, you know. It'll, it'll be fine, just stop worrying. Does it, does it help? That's not really, no. <laughs> it's like that sketch, if anyone's seen it, where, where the counselor says, just stop it. Stop it, whatever. Has anyone seen that? Very niche. Look it up later on. It's very good. Um, so where I want to begin is, we need to obviously look at the context. Like, I don't think Jesus is saying that. I don't think that Jesus is just giving like a, a kind of toxic positive statement which doesn't actually help us. I think he's saying something far deeper. So let's look at the, at the very start. Actually, the very first word, the word therefore. We'll stop there. <laughs> for those of us who've been reading the Bible for a while, or maybe even if you've been used to writing essays, you'll know that that word means we can't just keep going and pretend like we've, there's nothing that's come before it. That word means that we have to know the context for why this is written. We have to know um, what Jesus has said up to this point because it's crucial in us understanding what he's written next and what he said to us next. So just as a bit of a reminder of how we got to where we are in the last couple of weeks, um, at, at the start of chapter 6, Andy was teaching us about living for an audience of one, that we are called to live a life for the audience of God, our Father, knowing his love for our lives and going after his plans and his kingdoms are the priority for us. And then following that, Jimmy, James, talked about, he, he talked about uh, the next section of our prayer and about the fact that prayer is the whole point relationship with God the Father is the reason why Jesus died and rose again. 
so that we could know him, we could know the love and the care of the Father and walk closely with him. And then last week, Naomi talked to us about the things that we treasure and how so often our heart follows after those things. And in summary, as we reach this point in this section of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching us that we have a choice. Either we live for the approval of others and in pursuit of our own gain, or we live knowing the approval of God the Father and in pursuit of him. We can either live taking our value and our identity from the things of this world, or by receiving our value and identity and purpose from God. So it's with this in mind, keep that in mind the whole time that we're reading this section, that we can then look at the rest of what Jesus has to say about worry. So verse 25, Jesus suggests there are two areas that we're most concerned about as people. And those two areas are our lives and our body. And you might think, well, actually, they're fairly justified things to be worried about, isn't it? Because they're quite big things. Our life is like everything about us, isn't it? The fact that we breathe and relate to people. Um, Living is like a fundamental part of us being human. And then our bodies equally are as important, right? Our bodies are an image. Our bodies are what make us who we are. People identify us by our bodies, a physical form. So if you, th- you would argue, if there are any things that is justified to be worried about, it would be our lives and our bodies, right? But Jesus is very clever with this because he says, no, no, you think that you worry about your life and your body, but actually what you're worrying about is clothes and food. What you're worrying about is clothes and food. And these are small things, but they're important parts of us, and they carry far more sway than we realize. So I want to break this down and look at each. How does Jesus get from thinking about our lives to our food? And why does he think we worry about that? And then how does he get from body to clothes? So looking at first life and food. It's verses 26 and 27 if you want to follow along. So Jesus, I think he knows as soon as he gets us thinking about our own situation, we won't be able to think that clearly. So he gets us to take a step back. And he's currently preaching on a hill in Galilee with lots of people surrounded by him. And he points to some birds and says, look at these birds. These birds don't do anything, do they? Yet God provides for them. God cares for them. They don't toil, or as Eugene Peterson puts it, he says, they don't have a job description, which I think is a good way of describing it, isn't it? And yet God provides for them. Actually, hot topic for this week if you've been reading the news. Do, should we be providing for birds? Should you feed them bread or not? The verdict's still out. I don't know. If you want to feed ducks bread, go for it, I think. You do you. <laughs> Anyway, the thing, as a side point, that wasn't as funny as I thought it was going to be. I won't, maybe we won't do it tonight. Anyway, the thing I wanted to note is Jesus moves from talking about food and the fact that God provides to talking about value. Do you see that shift? It's very slight, but it is there. And I think it's because the things we worry about are the things we value most. And the challenge for us as contemporary readers is when we think about food, it doesn't have the same connotations as it would have done for those in Jesus' time. Because those in Jesus' time, most of them would have actually been involved in growing foods, in catching the food that they eat. In fact, it was probably a commodity for them. It was part of their livelihoods, was the whole process of food from initial starting point through to the point where it arrives on their plate. So they knew some of the responsibility that came with food. They knew some of the value that food had. Whereas for us, we could spend our whole lives never knowing how foods arrived on our plate, which is kind of weird, isn't it? I think it's the only time in history where that's been the case. But I think it means we need to think a little bit more creatively around what it means for our context. So what does it mean? I think if you break it down and look at the truth of what Jesus is teaching here, um, he says, he's saying we still have a part to play, 
even in our day-to-day rhythms of lives. While, while God provides for our food and God provides for the food of the birds, they still have to find it, don't they? Like, I don't think Jesus is saying that they don't have to do anything. I think the same is true of us. We carry some responsibility to provide for our daily needs. But the danger is, that Jesus highlights here, is that when we begin to think that it's all on us and that God doesn't play any part of the process, that he doesn't care about what we eat or our daily needs, Because when that happens, when we begin to believe that, it opens up quite a destructive way of thinking. Because if we begin with thinking, actually all responsibility is on me to provide for my own needs, then it's not very much of a step for us then to move to say, actually it's my responsibility to find the job and the income and the resources to provide for my needs. It's completely on me. And then before long, what we end up doing is we start to say, we start to place all of our value on how successful we are in doing that. How successful am I at finding a job which provides an income which provides for my basic needs? Does that make sense? You see how that can happen and how easily we can grow to see that kind of value in the way that we live? And slowly but surely, a healthy responsibility to work and be part of providing for ourselves becomes the value of our whole lives. And worry is a very natural reaction to us believing that we're completely in control of our lives. Worry is a very, very natural reaction to us believing that everything depends on us and that no one else cares. In fact, it becomes an unmanageable burden for us when we believe that and a crippling worry on our shoulders. So Jesus wants to reset that perspective. He wants us to take a step back and look at our priorities and to direct our attention back towards him. Because he knows that when we begin controlling those small things and seeing them as solely up to us, that this is the path that we can walk down. So if responsibilities and work are the closest example for us of what food would have been for them, what does it look like to see the provision of God in those places? What does it look like for us to create space to see the provision of God in those places? And an example of someone who does this for me is actually my dad. Um, We can have like the, my dad's better than your dad argument afterwards if you want to. Um, But my dad is... Um, has really modeled that in the way that he chose to live, um, has chosen to live in these last 40 years of his career. Because early in his career, he made a decision to say, I'm not going to depend fully on myself for my job. I'm going to trust in the provision of God for my career. And over the 40 years of working in quite a variable contract-based industry where jobs can start and finish at a moment's notice, he's only a handful of times, a couple of times, had to actually look for work himself. Because he decided, he made the decision to trust that God has given him the job he has and that he'll provide a way whenever he meets challenges or a job finishes or he's in a toxic work environment. And it's incredible how faithful God has been to him in that process, opening up new opportunities just as things start to become a bit unbearable. I mean, sometimes it's been very close. There been times where we as a family have looked on and said, Dad, maybe you should send out a CV. <laughs> Um, But he is trusted and stuck to it and said, no, God has always provided for me in my work. I'm going to stay here until he provides a new path for me somewhere else. And God has every time. And actually, it's happened again just this last week, which is why I'm telling you, because just in the last couple of months, his particular work environment has been completely unbearable, working 13-hour days. And um, he, but he's trusted that God would provide. And on Monday, um, a new opportunity came to him. And so he handed in his notice and is moving to this new job. So why am I saying this? Not because I think we should never apply for jobs. That's not what I'm saying. Please continue to apply for jobs if you're looking for work. 
But what I am saying is that we need to shift our perspective a bit on the way that we see our work, the way that we see our responsibilities. Because ultimately, if, it depends on what perspective you're looking at my dad's career. Because someone could look on at him and say, actually, well, you, you did all of that. You're just very good at your job, so you got headhunted all the time. It was all you. It was all because of the things that you contributed. It was all because of your work. But because my dad's chosen to believe it's differently, believe it's not on his shoulders, believe that God provides, um, we have incredible stories of his, God's faithfulness working in his life. And um, incredible stories of answered prayer just in the moments where we needed it. The thing for us, the shift in perspective is we need to allow space to see God at work in our lives. We need to allow space to see God provide for us in our day to day. Because the alternative is, and this is when we get onto the value stuff again, that if we let the world determine our value, we'll spend our whole time, our whole lives worrying that we never make it. And to be honest, that's the narrative most of us are going to spend most of our working lives or our responsibility-filled lives fighting against. And while carrying responsibility is something that we are called to as humans, the point that Jesus makes here is our value is to be found somewhere completely different. Because we are worth so much more than the work that we produce. You are worth so much more than the work that you produce. And if we really got that, we would know the same contentment without work or working in a, a very low-stress environment as we would working at, on the board of an executive organization. We'd know that same, com, uh, that same contentment with God. We'd know that God's same affirmation of us. And we'd know God's affirmation of us if we've actually just done well to get out of bed in the morning as much as if we've had a really productive day. And I think understanding that truth, understanding where our value comes from, is the key to discovering a worry-free life. And I'd say I'm convinced there's a reason why when we look back at the, at the earlier in the chapter, Jesus asks us to pray that God provides our daily bread. Because thanking God daily for the provision of food, which we can provide for ourselves easily, right? But thanking God for that provision disarms this narrative which says it's up to us that we find our value in the things that we own and achieve. So the first point is, God the Father values and cares for you deeply and wants to provide for you. And you can't do anything about that. What you can do is to begin to acknowledge that in the way that you work, in the way that you see your job, in the way that you see your possessions, and allow it to shape your perspective in all that you own and work to achieve. Because isn't life more than a job title or income? Isn't life more than food? So if that's how we get from food to the value of our lives, now let's look at bodies and how bodies become about clothes. And it's in verse 28. And Jesus is great again at this because he knows as soon as we look down at our own bodies, we'll start getting distracted. So he, he points at a field just beside where they're sitting and says, look at the flowers in that field. It says, Solomon in all of his splendor wasn't dressed like one of these, and yet they did nothing about it. They didn't toil, they didn't work for it. It's a weird comparison, isn't it? Who's Solomon? Why bring up Solomon in the middle of talking about flowers? But King Solomon, if you know any of the history of, the, of, of Israel, is regarded in, as one of the most famous kings of, of Israel. Um, one of the most honored, the most wealth, beyond whom no one else could compare. And actually, First Kings chapter 3, which is a book which talks about the lives of the kings of Israel, in that, cha in that chapter, God promises to Solomon that he'll be a man of incredible wealth and honor, 
without comparing his lifetime. And Jesus says of him, actually, flowers look better. It's quite a burn, isn't it? <laughs> What's he, what is he getting at? I think he's getting at our bodies, our identity, and our status become so quickly tied up in the external parts of ourselves, right? Our social standing, our status, our looks, our dress sense, much of which is temporary. We place far more value on those things than they're worth, such that they become everything to us. And if they're everything to us, then we worry about them endlessly. How people view our parenting, how people see us in our friendships and relationships, our popularity in social media, they all become sources of worry as we look for the affirmation of others to affirm our own identity. So Jesus seeks to completely flip this on his head. And but he does that by pointing to the flower. That's one way of doing it, isn't it? He says, the flower, this is what it is. It didn't try anything. It didn't decide to bring out a Sunday best. <laughs> and yet it looks better. And somehow Jesus says that God the Father is going to clothe us better than that flower. In fact, he sets the bar crazily high. He said he sets the bar at Solomon. Solomon is the bar, the wealthiest man in Israel's history. So what does that mean for us? I don't think it means that we're suddenly going to get like un anonymous suits and dresses sent through to our, our home addresses. I don't think so anyway. Pro probably not. Because Jesus isn't saying that. It's not a prosperity gospel. What he is saying is really interesting, actually. If you look at the life of Solomon, it's really interesting that you use Solomon as an example because if you know some of his history, he never asks for any of that stuff. He doesn't ask for wealth. He doesn't ask for honor. He doesn't place his identity there. Instead, the one thing he asks of God is that he would know God's guidance and wisdom. That's what he goes after. He recognizes that there's more to his body than his looks, and he pursues God. So Solomon is the bar. How can we be like that? How can we be clothed better? There's also, there's, another, there's someone else who talks about what it means for us to be clothed in God. And it's a prophet, Isaiah, someone who speaks the words of God. And he speaks about what Jesus' work is going to do for us as his people. And he uses these words, which are really interesting. He says, we are covered with the garments of salvation, the robe of righteousness. So for us to be clothed better in Jesus looks like this. We're clothed in his righteousness, in his goodness, in his obedience, in his status as God, as son and daughter. So our identity is Jesus. That's what it means to be clothed better. And that's got to be better than even a really nice suit or dress, right? <laughs> our body is more than our clothes. Our body is our identity. And our identity is Jesus. If you believe that first, Jesus says, it sets everything else in its right place. And God still cares and loves about how you look and what you wear, but it comes secondary. Because is the body not more than clothes? Is our identity not much more than our looks? So what is the key to a worry-free life? Uh, just to kind of pull it all together, relationship with God the Father is the point. It is the beginning of a life without worry. It all starts with God the Father, knowing that he cares for us and wants to provide for us for how we live and move and have our being. It's the foundation of us beginning to live a worry-free life. And then the final piece of the puzzle, the final thing that Jesus has to say about this is in verse 33. 
And he says this, seek after the kingdom of God. Therefore, knowing this, knowing your identity, knowing who you are, knowing that you're valued and loved by God, seek after his kingdom first. Live your life in pursuit of the kingdom of God. Occupy yourself with the things of God. And that, I think, is the killer combination. That's the moneymaker. That's how, you, that's how it works best. That's how you begin to live a worry-free life. Knowing who you are, knowing your value in God, and choosing to set yourself in line with his will, with his kingdom, setting that as priority. And I mean, it should impact everything then. It should mean that we choose to live differently, knowing who we are. It makes, it makes decisions which can find the way that the world sees value of our lives. That means we might pass up on an opportunity or a promotion at work when we know that it's actually going to come in the way of our relationship with God or our opportunity to journey with God's people. That we'll choose to use our finances differently, even though the measure of success and affluence of the people around us is the size of our house, the kind of car that we have, the holidays that we're going on. That we'll choose to live, different, live differently, knowing who we are and what God calls us to. And we'll choose to use our time differently, giving ourselves the thing that God has placed on our heart rather than just watching Netflix every night. And we do all of that trusting that God the Father, who cares for us deeply, will cover everything else. And, and Jesus closes by saying this, actually God covering things might not look the way that you expect. You will probably still face trouble. But isn't life more than worldly success? achievement and isn't our body more than our looks and our comfort and Corrie ten Boom is an incredible example of someone who lived this out and many of you I'm sure will be aware of her story um, she wrote a book called The Hiding Place where she talks about her experience and um, she was um, alive during World War II and her and her sister made a decision to open up their home to those who are um, refugees from um, Nazi Germany and uh, whether they were trying to rebel or run from Nazi authorities. And she did that knowing that, that choosing to hide these people could very well lead to her imprisonment or torture, even her death. And actually, eventually it did lead to her spending time in prison. Um, but it's just, it's just such an incredible story. And what is clear throughout reading this, the book uh, and her biography is that she knew these truths really well. She knew that God the Father cared for her deeply and she chose to pursue his kingdom first in her life, even though it could lead to her losing some of the things which we value in our culture the most. It could lead to her losing her status, her comfort, her finances. But knowing who she was, knowing her value, she chose instead to determine her life by what she could give, how she could contribute to what God is doing. And in her book, she writes this, and I want to finish with this. It says, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. So for me, I, I don't want to be someone who allows worry to hinder me from living the way that God wants me to. I don't want to allow external measures of success to become the things which I protect. I want to be someone who knows more and more deeply the care and love of the Father, and who chooses to pursue him in his kingdom first. And I hope that we all do. <laughs> um, and I, I'm going to pray for us that we do, and we more and more grasp the love of God and choose to pattern our lives differently because of it.
Um, so, but before I do, I wonder if I'm just going to leave a few moments of silence. Um, and if there's anything that God's been saying to you, just to continue to invite him to speak, to reveal what that is. It might just be that he wants to um, tell you how much he cares for you. So why don't we just take a few moments of silence and I'll pray. Why don't you stand with me if you're able and we'll pray together. And uh, just before I, I pray, there's, I, when I was preparing for this, I really got a sense there's a few things for some people um, here this morning that um, for some of us actually it's about control. That beginning with our small th- the small things and um, and giving up control is quite a scary thing. Um, and if that's you, then um, we'd love to pray for you that you're able to hand things over to God and trust him with those things. Um, for some of us, actually, we're in the midst of worrying about something which is very real and very present to us. Um, and in this moment, we need to give that back to God again. And uh, there's a passage in First Peter which says... Um, cast your anxieties upon him for he cares for you and there's just within that expectation that we will still continue to worry but we choose in those moments to give them to God who cares for us so if those things are for you we'd love to pray for you and love to start you in that journey but when I pray for all of us just that we would know more the love of the Father you might want to open up your hands and as a way of saying I receive that I, I receive this anew would you give me a bigger picture of yourself? Yeah, Father, I thank you that you care for us deeply. Not just about the big parts of our lives, but about the details. But the things that we take for granted each day. And God, that you care about the things that we worry about most. The things which are closest to us. And I pray this morning that we'd have a real awareness of your presence with us in those places. We'd have a real awareness of you speaking your value over us where we've allowed some other things to take priority. And would you grind us again this morning in all that you say we are? so that we can move from here forward, seeking your way, seeking your kingdom.